five, four, three, two, one. Lift off of the Falcon 9. Hi, I'm Mark Boucher, and this is the Space Q Podcast. My guest today is Adam Keith. Adam is an independent advisor and business consultant focused on the space sector. In his 20 years in the space sector, he has advised a wide range of clients, including government organizations, investors, and commercial actors along the value chain. He is also an affiliate principal advisor at EuroConsult North America with specialization in earth observation and disruptive technologies. Today, Adam and I are going to talk about the state of Earth observation, including what's happening in Canada. Listen in. Welcome, Adam, to the Space Q podcast. Hi, Mark. Uh, thanks, for, thanks for having me on. So, we've known each other for a while now. Uh, probably, oh, I don't know, going back to 2014, 2013, something like that. Um, and I know you through your work at Euroconsult when you were the managing director there for Euroconsult North America. Why don't you give us an introduction of um, what your role is now with Euroconsult and some of the um, other work that you're doing? Sure. So, uh, yeah, it's true, uh, Marco. I think uh, we go back to, to my times when we're, I was the managing director of Euroconsult North America. And uh, I came over to um, Montreal to set up the office, um, the uh, the Canadian office, uh, back in uh, back in 2008. And uh, I've been uh, associated with Euroconsult now for for what is getting on for uh, nearly uh, 15 years. Um, about three years ago, um, I made the decision to uh, try and venture into some new things. Uh, one of the ideas I wanted to do was to go more into uh, direct advisory, uh, working in with more of a uh, startup community uh, in, in with space companies in Canada, uh, more specifically in, in the Earth observation sector. Um, but I still stay uh, strongly associated with Euroconsult, so I'm working with them on a uh, on, on, on a regular basis. On, on a number of things, uh, especially related to Earth observation and work with uh, with the Canadian government. Um, by myself, I taking on the advisory role uh, led me to starting to work with uh, with Wyvern, who uh, Wyvern Space, who are a startup uh, out of Edmonton, uh, Alberta. And we're looking to build a low-cost, uh, hyperspectral solutions uh, based on uh, deployable uh, deployable optics. Uh, so obviously, again, mainly in Earth observation play. Uh, and there we're looking at several markets, uh, in particular agriculture, uh, as well as uh, oil and gas. And uh, all I'll say there is that there's a that there's, there's plenty of more to come uh, on the, on on the company, and uh, actually come up shortly. Um, and in addition to that, I work as the uh, space uh, support program manager on behalf of uh, on behalf of SACCAM, uh, which is a, uh, a a national research council IRAP supported uh, um, uh, program uh, where we look to assist uh, Canadian startups and small to medium enterprises as they look to grow uh, in, uh, in in the space sector. And uh, and a few other things besides, but uh, maybe maybe I'll stop there. 
And and you're also, if I understand correctly, an investor in Wyvern. Is that correct? Uh, I'm uh, I'm a minority shareholder in Wyvern. Okay. With your new role, you know, do you have the best of both worlds? Because you're still working with your old company, Euroconsult, but now you can also take on new uh, clients. Uh, yeah, I think it adds a diversity of, of, of a kind of work that, 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 that I can do. Um, obviously, there's nothing non-competing uh, between the two. I, I think I have the flexibility to be able to work uh, you know, more directly inside a company such as Wyvern. Uh, and you know, act as a more advisory role, whereas as a consultant, I'm more of a strategic consultant. So as, obviously, as long as there's no conflict uh, between any parties, then yes, it's it's it's, it's a lot of sides, both within inside um, within inside a company, uh, and understand the problems they have. Uh, sorry, an, an operator and and on the consulting side. Um, one of the things which definitely piqued my interest and still does at Euroconsult is. The type of work that we do uh, across market research, uh, you know, commercial due diligence, you know, uh, business case assessment. When we support companies, um, you know, we offer um, strategic advice, advice for them to be able to um, base their decision making on. Uh, part of it, which interested me, was then to be involved inside the company and see what happens when you implement some of that advice and how you grow and how you develop. And I think it's, it was one thing being able to, um, uh, you know, provide consultancy to, to companies in the Europe observation sector. It's, it's definitely been another experience to try and experience that firsthand. So, okay, so, I mean, at Euroconsult, you were involved with a lot of different uh, activities, but your expertise is earth observation. Now, um, maybe you can just touch on it a bit a little bit more if you can your work at satcan and in, in i mean what do you do as a space support program manager for the nrc uh, irap program so my role as is, is a manager of it is, is mainly in um, uh, facilitating the process, so making the link between the companies which have been accepted into the program and the subject matter experts who will help to support them as part of the program. Um, so that's my first role is mainly, uh, if you want, it's more like, you know, it's a team management role uh, between the group of consultants, the, you know, a bunch of experienced contact experts that we have and the companies and linking the technology technology and business needs of the company with these individuals. Uh, and in addition to that, I support the program directly myself, um, uh, you know, especially when it comes to more downstream activity, uh, especially in and around our uh, observation. Okay, so that gives us a really good uh, background on uh, what it is you're doing now. Um, so let's get into uh, talking about Earth observation. So the first thing that I'm interested in is, from your perspective, um, what are the trends in Earth observation now? Where we're becoming, where we're at now in Earth observation, I think, is we're starting to be able to realize the promises of the industry which have been set out for a long time. I think understanding the power of Earth observation and what it can do um, to a degree has, has always been known, um, especially I guess from you know the insiders in the business and looking at you know 
Um, I look at some of the projects that I did going back now nearly nearly 20 years working in the oil and gas services sector, um, looking at projects in and around insurance, location-based systems. The problems that the industries had back then in terms of their requirements for EO um, perhaps could be met, but would be extremely expensive and uh, it would be difficult to demonstrate, uh, say, say, some cost benefits. What's happening now uh, with the emergence of uh, constellations built at a much lower cost, um, enabled by you know, miniaturization, small satellite components on one side, and then on the software side, on storage, cloud capabilities, uh, you know, greater automation. The price points for which satellites can be operated and for which data can be collected has has you know come come down vastly. Um, then the analytics available to shift all of that information, that data, into something tangible, into something that um, the end user can work with. Um, we're just about uh, we're just about uh, getting there. So. It's been a combination of a few things on the hardware side and on the software side. But what it comes down to is that the, the requirements of the industry are just about now being able to be met. And companies are uh, knowing how to uh, you know, go out and better address these companies. They're having a better understanding of, of the markets they're, that they're trying to tackle. And some of these markets, whether it be existing ones such as oil and gas, such as getting more into precision agriculture, or whether it's with new ones in finance, in location-based services, um, the capabilities are such in which um, companies are able to address the needs of these companies at the right price point. All right. Let's talk about uh, some different roles, the role of government, the role of uh, companies commercializing uh, the data. Uh, and let's let's see where that takes us. So let's start off with what is the role of government in EO today as you see it? That's a challenge for, for governments all over. I mean, the, the earth observation sector, you know, in the whole uh, framework of the so-called new space environment is a scene shifts, things shift, you know, very, very quickly. Uh, you know, if we go back to what the government role in earth observation was 10, 15 years ago, it was pretty much everywhere. I mean, government was supporting the development of systems. Uh, data was being used to support government uh, government programs. Uh, the government was a customer of the solution. And, you know, today, amount of that rings true still, you know, most investment into Earth observation satellite systems today is still government. And the biggest end user for Earth observation across the board is still is still government. You know, Earth observation is still very much a, a B2G uh, environment. And the challenge for the industrial sector is to be able to move this from a B2G to, to, to B2B. But what's the role of government is interesting. It's less perhaps on, on you know, supporting and financing the development of new satellite systems. That's perhaps now the, the role, um, you know, the role of the private sector. Certainly government would not want to create competition by building similar operational satellites to what the, the commercial sector is, is trying to do. Um, the question becomes how do you support these commercial guys as, as you know, they're trying and get off the ground. And government certainly can't support 
you know, or everybody, and now that that shouldn't be the role of it. So how do you how do you pick that? Um, here in Canada, we have you know the STTB program, which is which is you know a very interesting concept to be able to support the technological development of uh, various systems and and equipment, and you know earth observation companies uh, you know benefit uh, benefit from that. Um, is it a question of supporting greater incubation and acceleration, uh, for instance, just as we see, you know, within the UK's, um, um, you know, space cluster in, in and around Harwell? Um, I, I think one area which perhaps is a little different here in Canada than what we see elsewhere, particularly in the US, is... Um, the government testing commercial solutions and testing data to see what it can bring to them. in the US there are initiatives um, such as the cyber initiative uh, such as the commercial weather programs where uh, you know new solutions new earth observation solutions are being tested to see what they can do um, here in Canada we still have somewhat the notion that earth observation data is free which can be a little bit of a sticking point to, you know, for, for, for testing commercial solutions. But if you're, if you're asking me to pick one thing, it would be trying to find some kind of mechanism for which we could test more commercial solutions once they're, once they're available to see, to see what cost benefits they could bring to government. Who are some of the companies that are trying to take advantage of the new opportunities uh, for Earth observation in Canada? Other than you've already mentioned Wyvern, which is a startup, but they're not actually doing uh, anything other than point at this point, other than developing their hardware, correct? Uh, at, at this point, uh, it's at the point of developing the hardware and uh, trying to uh, build out approaches to, to develop uh, commercially, yes. Um, but there are several others, and I think that's something to bear in mind, because I think in Canada, um, we probably don't realize how dynamic the Canadian new space e ecosystem is. Um, you know, you could find various uh, databases of, of new space companies globally, uh, and, and we've done this, uh, to have a look at what's coming out of Canada. And along with the UK and the US, you would put Canada down as one of the three dynamic countries in terms of where startups in space uh, are materializing. There, there's a lot going on here. Uh, and in Earth Observation alone, uh, you know, we have Earthcast uh, out in BC, uh, GHGSAT and uh, North Star Earth and Space uh, here in Montreal, uh, in, in addition, of course, to, um, to Wyvern. Um, and we have further, you know, the uh, the IoT sphere from Kepler to to Exact Earth and so on. You know, it, it's a very dynamic environment um, of new companies uh, who who are trying to get off the ground. And you know, one of their key problems is, I think, in most cases, all these companies need further investments to. Um, be able to come to to full fruition, uh, but why can't we have some Canadian success stories? I mean, the, the truth is, I think only the U.S. right now has more startups uh, focused on Earth observation operation uh, from one country can, compared to Canada. Uh, there are others, of course, globally, but uh, certainly it's it's a very interesting um, dynamic environment here. Now, in terms of investment, since you brought it up. Um, with the pandemic, do you see investments coming uh, 
slowing down with respect to, to new space companies? I mean, Wyvern is looking for money. Uh, Earthcast is probably still looking for, for, mo- for money. Uh, Northern um, uh, is still probably looking for money. Uh, the ones who seem to be, uh, you know, uh, raising uh, some money, uh, you know, without any problems at the moment, uh, include GHG Sat. So, how do you see the investments in in in, in the Canadian uh, ecosystem? Uh, I, I think the, the COVID investment issue is obviously, you know, something more global compared to you know just looking at the Canadian EO structure. If you had asked me that a couple of months ago, I probably would have been a little bit more. Uh, pessimistic. Uh, I mean, obviously, uncertainty means risk, means investors tend to keep their hands in their pockets. It's certainly not a positive, but the space technology is developing at the right, such a rate that it is that I, I don't expect that it will have such a big impact as, um, as perhaps, uh, you know, one may have thought, you know, a couple of months ago. Certainly, if things linger, you know, the, the whole investment investment environment globally is going to is going to suffer. But I, I don't think necessarily that Earth observation and space uh, will suffer more. Um, if, if anything, um, it's difficult to say. But uh, I, 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 there's been some interesting use cases in and around COVID as to what Earth observation can bring to the table. So. It's from from a marketing standpoint, it hasn't been completely negative for Florio. Um The problem, I think, for Earth observation in the investment environment and space in general is that it's very crowded. And one of the things I hear quite often is there's no investment in Canada. You know, where's the investment coming from? Where do I go? The truth is, there's plenty of investments in different technologies. Uh, in North America and, and here in Canada, it's that space, Earth observation competes within wider space, and space competes against ag tech, clean tech, fintech, uh, AI, um, and if they're seen as a safer bet for investors, then that's where an investor will invest. And I think, you know, a, having a look at what happens has happened in the AI sector here in Canada and how much investment that's attracted with a strong government backing, you know, shows that, you know, that there is plenty of VC around. Uh, it's a question of how do we get space um, to the forefront so it's, 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 it's considered like a primary area for investment. Um, now, one thing which is slightly inhibiting is the lack of exits in space. We we haven't seen that many uh, you know venture back commercial enterprises um, exit successfully, and and there needs more to keep that attraction going. And I was in conversation with um, a, a, an investor just a couple of months ago, who said, you know, yeah, you know, uh, we we need to be able to see uh, you know some good exits from this industry. You know, for instance, three companies and. The three companies were mentioned, and you know, one's from Earth Observation, one's from IoT, and the other one is from Launch. So three different, completely set application different different application areas. But from an investor standpoint, they're all put groups together as space. So, you know, even having a successful exit, for instance, in the rocket business, would be 
a, a spur for Earth observation in how these technologies are grouped from an investor standpoint. You know, they, they don't really care at getting too much into nuances. Um, but certainly, it's it's a competitive landscape out there, and we need to find ways that um, the space industry can put itself on a pedestal and say, "Hey, we're we're just a sound investment as as these other industrial ones." Yeah, I think exits are are definitely something that uh, the investors want to see, uh, and there haven't been as many as them as they would hope at this point. But it's a, you know, with space, it's a, it's definitely a much longer uh, time frame that you've got to invest your money in uh, yeah, as I compared with some other. Yeah, I think it's also the biggest challenge. I mean, you know, venture capital want to see a three-year, three four-year exit. Um, for space, that's, that's difficult. And I, I wonder if, you know, Strategic investment is, is a different way of, of, of being supported, but generally they, they come in a little bit later. So there's um, no no clear approach, I think. But you know, you're absolutely right. They want to see a shorter time frame, and you know, this is a challenge. Now. I want to go back to government for a second, and I don't know if you can answer this question, if there's any conflict or anything, uh, based on some of the past work that you've done, but I've got to throw it out there. Um, so in in Canada, government uh, has invested a significant amount of money in uh, synthetic aperture radar, the radar sat constellation mission. Uh, I mean, that was a billion... Uh, plus uh, program that is now starting to see the data come in uh, and people are happy with it. Um, We're looking at uh, doing wildfire sat uh, in the next few years. But in terms of government-owned Earth observation platforms that are Canadian, not a lot out there. Uh, Canada does a lot of partnerships with the U.S., with Europe, I'm just curious, should Canada be considering as a government uh, investing uh, some more money into their own full Earth observation platforms? (laughs) For sure, I'm very careful how to answer it, which is to start off from an Earth observation guy. It's like, yeah, I would like to see a lot more investment. But that would be true, I think, if you ask me of, 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 any, of any country's program. I, I think the, the CSA right now has, uh, you know, a request for proposals out on looking at what's next after, after RCM. Um, and I don't know where exactly that is at. I, I don't know if there's been any, any awards on that contract yet, but I think there's going to be several studies awarded from that to basically explore what next after um, um, after RCM. Um, what's the type of mission? I'm going to I'm going to step back from saying CSA specifically, but the types of mission which government tends to go for are the ones which are more uh, public good but less commercially viable. And. I think that that's that's still a key role um, for for government, and maybe these missions later on down the line will be seen as being more commercial. And I'll, I'll take for an instance, you know, some, something like you know environment monitoring for emissions. Uh, I worked on the Shikimaki sensor, which was on Envisat, which was launched back in 2002, which was looking at this. Back then, we would only think of that type of data collection as, as being something inside the government domain. And now you have GHGSAT as a commercial company trying to, you know, doing exactly the same because it can do it very cost effectively. So, you know, 
what's public good and what's not commercial and what's commercial is something which which can change all the time. Uh, and you mentioned something like the wildfire sanction. Um, it's it's very difficult for a mission. Whether it's wildfire SAS, whether it's you know um, you know SAS at one time, which has been talked about, um, you know these types of missions looking at some very specific you know environment monitoring parameters um, may not have great commercial value, but can have huge uh, social economic benefits, and you know those are the types of missions which. Uh, which I know the CSA has been looking at, as well as, well as um, you know, uh, government earth observation departments, uh, departments globally. Um, personally speaking, uh, not Europe or anywhere else. What, what I would not like to see is, is, is where, you know, government launched satellites, which which could do, which the commercial sector could do, or even compete with, with with the commercial sector. But but that's certainly not 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 the case. All right, so. Um, I've got one last topic that I want to go over, uh, and you sort of touched on it a little bit throughout uh, our conversation, but uh, a while back you wrote uh, uh, an, an opinion, if you will, why hasn't the earth observation industry taken off yet? So I was wondering if you wanted to expand uh, on that and, and, and talk about, um, you know, why... Why hasn't the Earth observation industry taken off yet? I mean, I, I know that you talked about uh, data supply, uh, but there were other factors as well. Yeah, I, I answered that question because um, some of the I, I get asked this question a lot, um, whether it be from you know Euroconsults in, inside our market research, we, we forecast on what's happening in the Earth observation sector. Um, and you know we remain very positive as to how how this industry could and could evolve and how and how it could change. Um, also, when we're working on behalf of you know working with investors inside a consulting activity, they want to know, okay, we see all these big numbers from X Y Z company, but you know, where, where are we really at in terms of development? Um, and, and I think it's important to say that without getting the adequate supply of their to be able to answer the problems that need to be answered, then the Earth observation industry cannot expand the way we would like it to. Now, this is a little bit chicken and egg because, of course, we need the supply up there to you know, confirm the demand and, and how basically you know this, this, this can happen. And it's certainly not guaranteed as a number of companies are starting to, you know, they, they still need more financing to be able to come through to, to, to fruition. The, the big shift in the sector, the big holy grail is, is to be able to shift this business from being a government business into more of a mass market B2B, you know, environment. And to be able to do that, we need to look at how um, solutions are going to be delivered. Uh, the price they're going to be delivered, and can the information that the user want be delivered in a mechanism which they can understand. Um, INEO, a lot's talked about, oh, it's not about data, it's about information. Um, I, I, I find that a little bit of a difficult thing to, to wrap my head around because it's all about both. You know, you need the data to build the information, and it's always been true that an end user wants information. It certainly doesn't want raw imagery. But how do we get that that solution into someone's hands 
in a uh, in, in a way that they can afford. Um, you know, one thing that we're going to, I expect we're going to see a lot more of is things like, you know, subscription-based services delivered on a platform, uh, you know, software-as-a-service type models. Um, another problem on the supply is we've, we, we have successful companies operating right now in the commercial earth, earth imaging space, and the Airbuses, the Digital Road, Maxart, you know, of of this of this world, um, but the cost points of the satellite, you know, almost effectively means that data has to be co- uh, co- you know, costed in a certain way, which means that it restricts the utilisation. Um, you know, defence is approximately two thirds of the commercial data market today, and you know that's because they have the, you know a bit of the deeper pockets to be able to support you know that procurement, particularly the the US defence. To be able to shift it to the cost point of, um, of, you know, to get into more mass markets, however, uh, you know, things need to be thought of a little bit differently. You know, how do we sell to hundreds of thousands of customers solutions which are, uh, you know, measured in the tens of thousands of dollars as opposed to trying to pick out the few customers who want to put their hands in the pockets for a few million dollars? To to pick an example in in, in agriculture, the needs of agriculture and how to work agricultural applications derived from remote sensing. This has been around a very long time. It's been around from you know from, from Landsat. Um, regional monitoring for agriculture has been done from Landsat to years. It, it's now being done and harmonised with, with 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 Sentinel too. You know you can go here in Canada to the agriculture agri-food website and go and you know. Have a look at uh, their portal and see, you know, derive crop information which is being built from 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 Sentinel uh, from from Sentinel two. The question is, how do we break what is a few hundreds of million dollars regional uh, agricultural monitoring into the potentially much larger precision agricultural um, you know business by being able to monitor specific crop types, being able to identify, you know, uh, stress, uh, you know, at the sub-acre level, and to be able to provide the information uh, into the agricultural supply chain that the grower and the farmer at the end of that can make the right decisions to be able to, um, uh, you know, bring greater efficiencies into into their businesses. You know, this is already a very successful business with with GPS. So. How does Earth observation, you know, tap into that? And the truth is, to get down to the needs and the requirements of the agricultural business, you need at least a five-meter ground resolution. You need to be uh, having a daily image, not necessarily a daily image because that's what the the farmer at the end of the day needs. He needs he needs a weekly image during the growing season, but because the clouds, you know, you need the daily image to be able to get the weekly image. Um, you need to have the right spectral band. You need to be able to get uh, something across the visible into the infrared, preferably a band in the middle there, uh, in the red edge, uh, decent radiometric accuracies and so on. You know, this type of of imagery, um, and to be able to get that um, at, at a cost point which 
you know, the farmer understands. So, you know, being able to deliver an agricultural solution, uh, which, say, might cost $5 per acre per season, and putting that into their language, you know, you know, just, just isn't quite there yet. I mean, you're talking about basically a... A, a Sentinel-2 with uh, a higher ground resolution and a higher revisit, and then you can, you know, start to demonstrate what greater benefits you can bring in this area compared to what you can with 3D available, you know, Sentinel-2. Uh, but the simple fact of the matter is that data set commercially, um, unless you want to very expensively resample high, very high resolution stuff, um, you know, doesn't doesn't exist. So the closest is perhaps planets, but it's, it's it's not it's not fulfilling all the all those objectives. Um, and the same for um, you know a few other application areas. You know, when I was working in um, oil and gas services applications back in you know ninety nine uh, early two thousands, uh, we knew exactly what the the end user uh, you know needed if we were going to go into uh, you know, site monitoring. Um, you know, you need very, you need high, very high resolution data, uh, daily revisits, and the right price. It doesn't quite exist yet. I mean, that data set may exist when Black Sky get fully up and running or Satellitic, but it's, it's not quite, uh, it's not quite there yet. And it can become even more exciting when we start to look at what happens when those same data sets can be applied into finance and location-based systems. You know, what happens when we can start to do predictive modeling and predictive analysis uh, across urban environments? So how can this support market intelligence, uh, competitive intelligence, um, um, support, uh, you know, to commodities trading, et cetera, et cetera. So there's plenty of large applications which I think or waiting to take off. It's just a question that we don't fully have the right supply there ready for that to happen. There still needs to be more in orbit to be able to um, um, to see these markets fully develop. All right. We're, we're definitely out of time now, but I have one last question because you sort of got me thinking about this. So we've talked about a, diff- a bunch of different companies that are uh, looking to put up, uh, that are putting up satellites for Earth observations, uh, that are going to have data and they're going to sell that data. But, um, you know, you mentioned agriculture, and I just, I remembered that uh, a little over a month ago, Skywatch, which doesn't have any satellites of its own, but is an aggregator of, uh, uh, of data, they're based out of Waterloo. Um, they just, you know, signed a deal with, uh, or should I say, they're working towards a deal, but they're working in collaboration now with Ag Integrated on the EO data for for the agriculture industry. How do you see the future for for companies like like Skywatch? I think Skywatch have a very uh, very interesting model. Um, there is. Definitely a case of having an awful lot of data out there. How do we aggregate that data into a harmonized single platform in order to be able to draw information? Um, and there, I think there is a role there as, as, as an Astra integrator. And to go back, for instance, to say what a company like Wyvern is trying to do, um, you know, Wyvern isn't data processing and harmonizing all the data itself, so why not outsource that to a company like Skywatch to be able to do that? Um, and I think other companies will look, uh, you know, uh, you know, towards that, uh, you know, in, in that direction. Um, it's funny. I, I mean, we, we're we're touching on at the end here some some different types of services areas, whether it be you know looking at software as a service or infrastructure as a service. But this is a certain other area which I think is 
bringing greater efficiency across the earth observation you know value chain uh you know before now you if you were going to be an earth observation company you had to invest in your own software solutions state of storage solutions processing uh ground segment antennas we're at the point now where you can focus just on the technology you want to develop and pretty much outsource everyone else whether it's data processing analytics to Skywatch, whether it's ground segments to Amazon Web Services or KSAT. Um, there are companies which are emerging specializing in very specific parts of the Earth observation value chain, which I think lends well to the lower cost approach of the EO SmallSat constellations in that they can look to um, you know, these partners across the value chain, uh, which can do things much cheaper than they would could do if they had to go and invest in these solutions themselves. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Skywatch should be you know, a very interesting company. I wish, and wish them all the best. Mm -hmm. All right. So, uh, any parting thoughts? Anything we missed? <laughs> uh, plenty. I could probably go on for another couple of hours. <laughs> Well, you know what that means. That, that, that means that means you're going to have to be on the podcast again uh, uh, later this year or early next year once uh, once we've got some more interesting things to talk about. Uh, Adam, go, go ahead. Well, I think actually, I mean, one of the things we've been, I think 2021, when more supplies of that EO is going to be a very interesting year. So I think I think it will be interesting definitely to catch up uh, a little later to discuss on how that's going. All right, we'll leave it at that. Adam, thank you for being my guest. No, Mark, thank you very much. Well, that's a wrap on this podcast. If you have comments on this episode, you can email me at podcast at spaceq.ca. I read and answer all your comments in a timely fashion. You can also find SpaceQ on Twitter at Canada in Space, and we post all our articles and podcasts to Facebook. Regardless of which app you use to listen to us, we'd really appreciate it if you could rate our podcast and write a review. Of course, that's only if you like us. Your rating and review will help us in getting the podcast widely listened to. And hey, if you like what we do, please support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash spaceq.